You are amazing, God. The Apostle Paul knew that as he declared it in those words we heard from Colossians at the very beginning of our service. Many of us have come to know as well that we love and we serve an amazing God. Well, I hope you enjoyed uh, joining in with that song. Uh, Roger and Dennis, particularly, I hope you enjoyed the guitar chords appearing. It's always fun to watch your debate on the chat week by week, trying to work out which uh, chords should be being played uh, for that particular song. Well, we enter into an interesting season over uh, the next few weeks during September here in the life of the church, where we engage in a sermon series we've called Join the Journey. And week by week, you're going to hear an invitation to join us in a journey around a particular area of life. And this morning, we get into the theme of creation care. Uh, You may well know we're an eco-church, and at the moment, we have bronze, uh, uh, the bronze award for our eco-church, and we're heading rapidly towards becoming a silver award church with our eco-credentials. And part of our commitment to eco-church is that we'll regularly teach on the theme of creation care, which is what we're going to be doing this morning. Before we get into all that, though, let me just encourage you to join us next week, because for the next two Sundays, we're going to be joined by some of our world mission partners. Next Sunday, we're going to be joined by Henrik from Poland, who heads up an organization we support called Voice of the Gospel. Really inspiring stories being told uh, from uh, Poland. And then the week after that, on the 20th, I think it is, we're going to be joined by Paul Smith, who heads up an organization called Edith's Hope, who many of you will know uh, are an organization we've been supporting as a church now for many years. And it's over these next two Sundays, next week and the week after, that if you made one of the little uh, video uh, montage uh, strapline statements for us, the whole church taking the whole gospel to the whole world, you might just see your face appear on the, the live stream next weekend. But this weekend, we think about the theme of creation care. Now, many of you will know this already, but I have a bit of a passion for words. I absolutely love discovering new words and then trying to find any excuse to use them. Fairly recently, I completed my dissertation and I sat there with a, for my master's, and I sat there with a thesaurus trying to find words that I could just squeeze in to make myself look clever. Apparently, I'm a logomaniac or I'm a philagus, which means somebody who has a passion for words. But I also have a bit of a loathing, a loathing for occasions when people string together words which simply shouldn't be used in combination. Now, I don't know whether you've noticed this. There's a bit of a trend that's happening with the English language at the moment, where people bolt the word super onto the beginning of other words. So, for example, somebody might say, I'm feeling super happy today. Or they'll say to me, oh, I was super curious about something. Or they'll say to me, thank you for being so super efficient. And it's this new trend in the English language, and I'd encourage you to start looking out for it because it will annoy you. People have started doing it all the time, and I've got to be honest, it is super annoying. And then, of course, there are some words that, because of their definition, simply shouldn't be used very often. And one of those words has been used over and over and over again during the past six months by just about every single politician at every press briefing. This word is trending in business circles as businesses try and explain the reason why their profits are down. 
This word has been used nightly by BBC journalists, and it's the word unprecedented. The unprecedented use of the word unprecedented in recent months is itself unprecedented. The COVID-19 pandemic is a once-in-a-lifetime event. And this pandemic and its consequences, at least for most of us living here in the UK, is entirely unprecedented. There's no doubt that these strange times have been challenging. Many of us would be ready and willing to say that. But two, these unprecedented times have created opportunities and they've created responses from folk that might otherwise not have happened if it was business as usual. We've seen some amazing creativity, haven't we, as we've been forced to find new ways to live and to move and to have our being. Perhaps most significantly, the global reach of the coronavirus has reminded us that we share our sense of humanity with others around the world. COVID-19 has demonstrated the inconnectivity of our economies. It's reminded us that our political structures, our healthcare systems, our food production change, our energy, our transportation systems, they're all inextricably connected. They're all dependent one upon the other. We really do live in a global village. My neighbor really is in Asia. My neighbor really is in Africa and South America and so on. What we've discovered is that when one part of that global village is stressed, then every part of it can be affected. Now, most of the conversations that I've been having partially with folk reveals that the coronavirus has changed the way that we see the world. It's reminded us of the fragility of life. Coronavirus has exposed deep inequalities that exist in our society. Many of us are beginning to wrestle with the question, well, what do I want life to be like after the pandemic? Now, the majority of the people that I've spoken to have concluded that they don't want to just unthinkingly go back to the way that things were. Yes, of course, there were some things that were extremely valuable, and we definitely don't want to lose those. We need to cherish them. It's going to be great to get some of those things back. But two, there have been some aspects of life that we want to leave in the past because they were destructive to us or they were destructive to others. Maybe they were even a distraction as we sought to live everyday life. And I wonder, I wonder what are those things for you? What are those things that you'd like to leave in the past and live differently from? Well, this morning, I want us to wrestle a little bit with that question with regard to our care of creation. What were some of the pre-COVID practices and attitudes that we should maintain because they were good and they were wholesome, they were good for us and they were good for others? But I wonder, what are some of the pre-COVID attitudes that we should be leaving in the past because they were destructive to us or to others? Might we just be entering into a season where we've got a chance to begin a new normal? How can we build back better, not only for our own sakes, but too for the sake of vulnerable people and vulnerable communities all around the world who we've tangibly discovered to be our neighbors? And this morning, I want to anchor all of this in the words of Psalm 8. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, 
You have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You have made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. It's been really exciting, and I might add exhausting, to be involved in serving the church in leadership during this strange season we found ourselves in. And that, of course, has been true for all churches all around the world. And churches have adapted very quickly, and they've adapted very creatively to the circumstances we find ourselves in. The church universal has been finding new ways to follow that command that we have from Jesus to be a light in the darkness. The church throughout the world has been finding new ways to care for our neighbors and to care for the most vulnerable in society. Think for a moment about the journey of CBC over recent months. On Sunday, the 15th of March, six months ago, next weekend, it's incredible how quickly that's gone. But on the 15th of March, we were a church who met physically. And then by the following Sunday, Sunday the 22nd of March, we'd effectively, albeit we hope temporarily, become an online church in the course of just one week. That took amazing creativity. It took incredible imagination. And in truth, it's been a pioneering journey for us. And of course, what happens when these things confront us is crises of this scale as individuals, as a church, and as a society give us the rare opportunity to ask questions about who we are and about our place in the world. We know from Scripture that as the people of God, we're, we're called to abide in Christ. We're called to let the life of Jesus Christ flow, flow through us and to flow in us. And I wonder, as we emerge from this crisis, how do we do this? How do we grab hold of all those kingdom values, the values of Christ's kingdom, and how do we point people, including ourselves, to a better way of living in the midst of this hurting and this broken world that we're reminded is even more hurt and even more broken than perhaps it was before this crisis? There's no doubt, is there, that the coronavirus has been a serious health crisis. We've seen that and we lament that truth. But it's also revealed a serious societal crisis, which, if we're really honest, existed long before this pandemic ever reared its head. The coronavirus pandemic has held up a mirror to our society. It's held up a mirror to us in the UK and it's held up a mirror to us globally. And it's revealed a brokenness that we might have been tempted to previously ignore. For example, we know that here in the UK, along with risk factors such as age, it's the poorest and ethnic minorities who are most likely to die during this pandemic. How can that possibly be right? And yet that is the facts that we are confronted with. 
And then when we think more globally, we remind ourselves that this lockdown has meant cramped living conditions and increasing debt. It's meant no access to to, to school lessons, even digitally. And it's meant that many have gone for days, if not weeks, without food. And then, of course, the coronavirus crisis is made worse by the fact that two crises are happening at the same time. We have this social crisis on the one hand, and then on the other, we still have an environmental crisis, which was making the headlines before COVID ever came along. When was the last time you saw dear Greta on our televisions? Although Greta's disappeared from the headlines, the reality is the crisis environmentally is still happening. Happening in parallel nationally and happening in parallel globally. As Psalm 8 reminds us, God has created a world where all things are interconnected. I love those verses from Colossians that we began with that reminded us that Jesus holds all things together in harmony. But Psalm 8 reminds us too that humanity has both rights and responsibilities for the care of creation. There are consequences when those rights are abused. But there are also consequences when those responsibilities are not taken seriously. Among the disorientating chaos of this almost global lockdown, many are starting to rediscover the centrality of our connectedness with God. It's been amazing to see how the word prayer is now trending on the internet on a regular basis. How churches have offered online courses and people have joined in with them. There's this move towards connectedness with God in society, and I think that's really exciting. But also because of this pandemic, there's also been this new move towards caring for those people who are around us. We experienced that in the early days of lockdown, so many people offering help to a neighbor or to a friend or to a colleague in need. And this is something that David, the psalmist in verse 8, had discovered centuries before us. He knew that people were were, were reaching out to God, but he knew too that people would want to reach out to one another as God holds this whole creation together um, as one. We're glimpsing the benefits, aren't we, of living in harmony with God's creation, which in a sense is the call of David, the call of God here in Psalm 8, to live in harmony with him. In China, it's thought that the two-month reduction in air pollution during the lockdown saved the lives of 4,000 children under the age of five and 73 adults over 70 in China. Now, by my maths, that's 78,000 lives that were saved as a consequence of the reduction in air pollution. That's many more times those that had actually died from COVID-19 in China. For the first time in 30 years, the Himalayas apparently have been visible from the Punjab, which is more than 125 miles away. People are hearing the birdsong louder than they've ever heard it before. People are breathing cleaner air and realizing just how important it is to get outdoors and enjoy God's creation for the sake of our well-being. We're beginning to spot the potential for a better life on the other side of this. And there's a sense in which both hope and imagination are beginning to rise. COVID-19 has shone a light on how unequal our world really is. For many people around the world, lockdowns have meant cramped living conditions, loss of jobs, increasing debt and days without food. And it's reminded us of how we've damaged God's creation. 
Air pollution has made people more vulnerable, and our destruction of nature has made it more likely for diseases to jump species. But as we've journeyed through this crisis, three big positive shifts in society have also started to happen. The first is a shift away from individualism. We live side by side, but separate from each other. Now we found greater togetherness. Even though we're physically distanced, we're coming together as communities. Local communities are supporting each other in WhatsApp groups and mutual aid, and we've seen how thousands of key workers bravely hold our society together. The second shift has been valuing life more than productivity. So often our value has been defined by what we have or how productive we are. But now dignity of life for everyone is top of the agenda. So much of the economy has been put on pause to protect people's health. People who are homeless have been housed and millions of us are giving our time and resources to support the most vulnerable. And lastly, there's a shift towards greater imagination. In a poll during April, only 9% of Britons wanted life to return to normal after lockdown. We're discovering how much is possible. We've built new hospitals in days. We've seen unprecedented government support and a world change overnight. Now more than ever, people are hoping that the world really will change for the better. But this change is not guaranteed to last. If we don't act, we could easily fall back to the old normal. Or we could go in a worse direction, where the lockdowns result in racism and division, inequality gets worse, and public money is used to bail out big polluting companies. But if we embrace these three big shifts towards togetherness, life, and imagination, we could see real change. The reboot of the economy could fast-track action on the climate emergency, protect the most vulnerable, and reduce inequality. This just might be possible if we take action together. In his Easter sermon, Archbishop Justin Welby said, After so much suffering, so much heroism from key workers and the NHS, we cannot be content to go back to what was before as if all is normal. There needs to be a resurrection of our common life. As the people of God, we can be a part of casting a vision for a way forward. How will you play your part? There was that word again, did you hear it? Unprecedented. So grateful to Tear Fund for putting together that incredibly provocative video. They spoke in the video three great shifts, three great shifts that I think should be celebrated and should be embraced. Why? Because they reflect kingdom values, because they reflect the values of Jesus. From I alone, we've journeyed towards we together from valuing productivity above all else to valuing life. And then thirdly, greater imagination to live differently. In Psalm 8, we're reminded of various truths that ought to inspire our journey to engage with God's creation, including our neighbors within this global village, differently from the trappings of the old way that we used to live. I don't know if you noticed in the psalm, but David begins and he ends this psalm with those amazing words of praise in verses 1 and verse 9. By verse 9, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And the word majestic translates a word that literally means great or glorious or excellent. That's our God. He's great. He's glorious. He's excellent. And so David is saying in this psalm at the very beginning and at the end that there's no place you can go in this earth where you can escape from God's power and his greatness and his glory. 
There's not a place you can go or an aspect of creation that you can look at where you won't see the creative hand of this great and glorious God within it. God is Lord of the, the global village that we live in, whether we acknowledge him or not, or not. And his fingerprints are on everything that you look at. The creation of our God is a masterpiece. And like all masterpieces, we should be looking after them. We should be treasuring them. We should be keeping them special, ready uh, for future generations to see and to observe. David speaks at the beginning and at the end of the awesomeness and the majesty of our God. And he says all of that is um, reflected in the creation that we see. But the second thing that Psalm 8 teaches us in verses 3 to 4 is about our place in this universe. David says that the universe is very, very big, and by comparison, we are incredibly small. You can imagine David lying on his back, perhaps somewhere in a field, maybe even whilst he was looking after his sheep, and he looks up at the stars in the sky And David in that moment had but a glimpse of the bigness of the universe. My guess is David would be absolutely astounded if he understood the size of the universe as we understand it today. And as he lays there, David speaks out the words of this psalm, when I consider your heavens, when I consider the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you've set in place, what is humanity? David lies there and looks at the vastness of the universe and says, what is humanity? What a brilliant question that David asks. And of course, many people have asked that question, what is humanity? Lots of people have wrestled with the question, well, how did humanity even get here? And when Stephen Hawking, that great scientist, calculated the mathematical possibility of life developing here on earth, he came up with the answer, zero. In other words, apart from God, we shouldn't be here. And David was starting to experience that himself as he looked at the skies. God, who am I that I am here? God, why am I even here? Apart from you, God, I have no place in this universe. And David concludes, well, I don't understand it, but I am here. And since I am here, I need to recognize that God has given me a job. He's given me those rights and those responsibilities that I spoke about earlier. Now, I don't know about you, but the sheer size of the universe sometimes drives me to despair because I can't understand it. It can lead me to feel that my small part in this universe makes no difference because when it comes to our size in the universe, you and I really are nothing. We're but a drop in a a massive ocean. But verses 5 to 8 of Psalm 8 go on to be an encouragement to us, an encouragement not to despair. Because verses 5 to 8 ought to encourage us to know that our contribution, even if it is incredibly small, makes a big difference in this world because God has given humanity, that's you and I, a special place of honor in creation. And he's given us a job David reminds us that God made humanity to rule over this majestic creation that he's made. In a sense, all that David is doing here in Psalm 8 is repeating what God had already declared in the creation narrative of Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. David says, you made humans rule over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all the flocks and all of the herds, and the beasts of the field and the birds of the air, And the fish of the sea, all that swims in the paths of the sea. You made humans humans rule over the works of your hands. 
Now, does that sentence mean we can do whatever we want to do with creation? Well, of course, the answer is no, because as image bearers of our majestic God, our rule over the created world should reflect God's wise rule and his love of his creation. In other words, we're not here to be tyrant rulers over creation, but we're here to be servant leaders. We're here to be stewards or caretakers of creation. God has charged us and given us the mandate to rule uh, this, this earth. Yes, he has, but he charges us too with the responsibility at the same time of being good stewards of the earth. I often find myself telling my own children, well, rights and responsibilities come together. You can't have one without the other. Normally, the way this plays out is one of our children, the youngest boy, wanting to watch television late into the evening. He wants the right of being able to do that, but he can't necessarily cope with the responsibility of going to bed sensibly afterwards or not waking up grumpy the next day. You see, if you leave out responsibility, when it comes to creation care, you'll get the view that this world is ours, and therefore we can do what we like to it, and we can trash it. If you leave out rights, of, rights or, or rulership, you might say, then you'll end up with the view that humanity is on exactly the same level as the rest of creation. And this view gives just about as much importance to a spotted frog as it does to a newborn baby, and surely that can't be right. David knew that. He says, you made us a little lower than the angels and you crowned them with glory and you crowned them with honor. I wonder if some of us today need to remind ourselves of that fact, that as human beings, God made us just a little lower than the angels and he's crowned you with glory and he's crowned you with honor. I sense this morning some of us need to know that God says you are a masterpiece of his creation. So what does all of this mean? As Christians, we should care for the earth and those who inhabit it. Why? Because God created it and because God gave us both the right and the responsibility to take care of it. And I wonder what all of that looks like in application. If that really is our place in the world, which the Bible here but in lots of other places says it is, if we're under God and over the world, then what should our response be to all of this? Well, every time that we demonstrate or we protest for fair wages for low-income workers or those on zero-hours contracts, every time we demonstrate, perhaps what we're doing is taking seriously our right and our responsibility to be a good steward of God's creation. What about every time we help somebody who's struggling with addiction or with poverty or with homelessness or because of some other life challenge, what about if in doing that, we're actually demonstrating that we're taking seriously our rights and our responsibilities to be good stewards of God's creation? Every time we write a letter or we sign a campaign and we urge our politicians to uphold the rights of those who are struggling, we're demonstrating that we take seriously the charge of God to be good stewards of creation. Every time we give towards a charity appeal or towards a humanitarian disaster or we respond to a request for food from Christchurch Food Bank, well, we're demonstrating that we're taking seriously our rights and our responsibilities to look after God's creation. Every time we go for a walk in the forest or wherever it might be that we go along the seafront and we stop and we just experience the beauty of God's creation and maybe take some time to clean up after ourselves and even after others, what are we doing? We're demonstrating that we take seriously our rights and our responsibilities of God's creation, to steward God's creation. 
Every time we champion the cause of environmental justice, we're demonstrating that we're dealing with our rights and responsibilities well. Every time we take effort to recycle rather than dump stuff in landfill, we're demonstrating we're taking seriously the rights and responsibilities that David spoke of in Psalm 8. Every time we make a good ethical choice when we shop, we're demonstrating that we take seriously those rights and responsibilities that God has charged us with. I guess I could go on speaking about carbon footprints or maybe choosing a green supplier over the cheapest available option, but I hope by now you get the point. Every time we make a decision that honors God, we're showing God and demonstrating to God, our majestic God, that we take seriously that mandate to care for his creation. And when it comes to all of these things, I know that I'm just a tiny drip in a really big ocean. But the difference that my little drip makes is significant because God has charged me with the responsibility to be a good steward. Because God says, I'm a person who is honored. I'm a person who has a place and a job to fulfill in his world. And I have a great prayer for myself. And my prayer is that God will give to me greater imagination when it comes to all of these things. I know that I'm capable of it. COVID-19 has demonstrated that to me in the way that I respond When I'm challenged to, I can make a response that demonstrates great imagination and incredible creativity. I can be somebody who responds differently from the way that perhaps I've always responded. And my prayer for me, and maybe you want to echo this prayer over yourself today as well, is that God would give me greater imagination to live differently for the good of others. But two, that God would give me greater imagination that in the way that I live my life, I would honor him more as the majestic God, the incredible creator that he's announced himself to be and shown himself to be. And all of this leads us back to that question that we saw in the Tear Fund video. And it's this question, how will you play your part as we thinkingly discover our new normal? Our God is majestic and his creation reveals it. How will we play our part? How will we respond to God in this matter? The universe is big and we're but small, but God has given us this place of honor and he's invited us to fulfill a job, which is to be a good steward of the masterpiece that he has made. How will you play your part? And as we think about the rights and the responsibilities that we have to fulfill that job that God has called us to, How will you play your part? My prayer for you, my prayer for myself, is that God will give to us even greater imagination and greater creativity, that we don't just return to the old ways, but we start to build better with some new practices that are not destructive to ourselves, but perhaps more importantly, are not destructive to others. Let's pray together, shall we, for that greater imagination. Lord, I want to thank you so much for these amazing words of Psalm 8. Lord, thank you that they remind us that we have a place and we have a job in caring for this created world. And Lord, there are so many ways in which we can do that. And Lord, this morning I've deliberately left it big and open because Lord, I just sense by your spirit that maybe just in one or two areas this morning, you'll be challenging us to live with greater imagination, to perhaps live with greater creativity than we've ever lived before. Only 9% of people in the UK said they want to go back to life as it was before. Lord, that reveals to us surely 
that there are some aspects of life that, yes, we should cling on to, but there are others that we need to let go of. Lord, I just want to pray, just in these moments of response, that you would just stir in our hearts those areas and those aspects of care of creation, be it for the world that's around it or be it for those who inhabit this world or both. Lord, would you stir within us a greater imagination to live differently for the good of others, but Lord, too, for the glory and for the honor of your name. And Lord, I pray this morning, too, for those of us who this morning just need to know that we are a masterpiece of God's creative genius. That we're significant, that we are special, that we have value and we have worth in the eyes of God. For those of us who need to know that this morning, Lord, speak that truth, I pray, by your Spirit onto the hearts of every one of us. That we might stand taller that we might raise our heads higher, knowing that I'm a masterpiece in the hands of a creator God, knowing that although that masterpiece is somewhat broken and damaged, that Jesus, my relationship with Jesus, makes that right for the rest of eternity. Lord, remind us this morning of who we are in you, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.